Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I, Allison, where, did you, where did you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah. So check out Childish. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in the pod cabin with producer Tony. Hello. Hi. Hello. How's it going? It's going all right. Okay, good. I need a uh, termite update. Oh, yeah. Uh, I should also say our guest, Sabrina Jalise, is here. I just, I can't. They call me the termite update. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do the thing. Although I might return to it, but I can't do the thing where, where you I talk chat. and talk and talk and the guest yeah. can't. And yeah, then I, pretend... I don't like it. It feels like you're playing double dutch and I like want to get in, but yeah. then there's a force field between me and the skipping rope. Right. When, when podcast people do that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I didn't used to, but like recently I've started and now the last episode, the guest just just said something in the midst of it. Yes. And I was like, oh no, she's, she's, she's ruining she's, my monologue. <laughs> she's, uh, she's, uh, put asunder the illusion. And I used fancy <laughs> words because I couldn't remember just the, the bait. I've lost the ability to speak, which is always good when it That's happens. That's a cool thing to do when you, the beginning of a podcast. When you lose the ability to speak to go like shakespearean language <laughs> maybe that's my secret it's a sunder <laughs> anyway uh yeah so i love I do... your theme music thank you since i'm allowed to speak yeah. i'd like to say <laughs> so cool thank would you would be very cool much. to play just as you walk into a party well when you know? i do yeah like you yeah. enter you enter a cool to my party music. this music plays everyone looks at you I could just do it on my phone, which is not as cool as the way you're describing. But yeah, we need big audio for this. Yes. One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there is a little termite situation in the studio. Oh, no. And I was explaining recently that uh, I, I come into the studio and I see the little pile of termite poop. The evidence. I didn't know that that was what you see. You termite see, poop. it's like there's like tiny little it looks like a pile of pepper but okay. it, you know how pepper grounds can be like different sizes. It's all yeah. very. It's like an. It's like an OCD pepper grinder left a small pile okay. right there. They're okay. all exactly the same size, and they're they're all. It's like little. It's not poop. It's wood. I mean, that impressive that the termites are consistent with the size of poop. Yeah. yeah. True. 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 It's like they're like you the know, rabbits. Allison, some people see termites. I see consistency. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. So anyway, I'll see it, and then I. You got to get everything sprayed, right? I think they have to tent it. I I actually got um an estimate a while ago and it was really expensive and I didn't want to deal with it so I'm like I'm I can handle it myself, but I don't think I can. So then I uh anyway, I what I was that look like you handling it yourself, <laughs> spraying insecticide in the hole in the wall, which is what I did. And no, now we just got wait. All these kids, you got to get someone with professional uh termite abilities. I know. I know you're That's right. That's my diagnosis. I know you're right. You brought me here to For tell the, you. To do the termite yes. update. Yeah. Um, anyway, Tony. Yes. I removed the sh- the poop. 
Mm-hmm. I bought insecticide, which, by the way, when it says all the bugs it kills, it does not say termites on the label. But I thought, I'm going with this one anyway. Yeah. I sprayed it in, in the wall earlier. The podcast cabin is still standing. I think it worked. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I anyway. You did it. I did it. Yeah, but right. I mean, this is like over the counter. Like I bought it at Home Depot and it's not even for termites. I, it's not even for termites. <laughs> <laughs> you put hairspray in your walls. <laughs> I saw our landlord used, well, our landlord used bleach in the holes in our old place, but also it didn't solve the problem. So that was a... So yeah, what's the point then? <laughs> exactly. Just makes it smell nice. Yeah. Look, popped a Tide Pod in there, and uh, the problem continued, but yeah, it smelled, smelled fresh. I would like to officially introduce my guest, Sabrina Jalee. She's a comedian, actor, writer, and producer. Started doing stand-up when she was 16. What? Recently filmed a quarter hour for the comedy lineup on Netflix, which I just saw, and it is hilarious. I oh. laughed out loud many times. Thank you. Appeared in Search Party, one of my favorite shows, Transparent, yes. Larry Wilmore, Last Comic Standing, and more. Worked as a consultant. Consulting producer on Netflix's Big Mouth, a story editor, an executive story editor executive. on <laughs> Search Party. She hosts the Goody Goody podcast and stars in the CBS comedy Carol's Second Act and also has a one and a half year old. That's right. Big credit. Big credit at the end. A little one and a half year old named Wolfie. Wolfie. Is that My little guy? Is it Wolfgang? It's Wolfie. It's just Wolfie. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, welcome. <sighs> so nice to be here. In this dangerous, uh, I know, you know, there's <laughs> it, a little hint of danger. My nipples are a little erect. Will it be standing at the end of our time? Who My knows? Nips. Yes. <laughs> I hope both of them will be. Um, all right. So first, I must compliment your podcast. Please which do. I was <laughs> just listening to. Um, I really like it. I uh, listened to a few episodes, walked away. I felt like with a greater understanding of you and of the guest and uh Podcasts yeah. are so great, you know, just there's not because I've been writing on TV and I I have uh, have a history of stand up is the way I was going to put it. Yeah. No, you started when you were 16. <laughs> I heard stand up in my you family. knew you wanted to be a comedian. young. Um, but there's so much, um, you know, there's so much measurement to all of that because everything's timed. Comedy is timing and all of that. It's so nice to just let the Zoom recorder roll and just have kind of the same chat that you'd have at a sleepover. Right. Yeah. And you have um, fun little drops you put in there. Yeah, I got like some Different- sound effects segments and whatnot and you talk to your mom at the end i talked to my mom yeah squeezing a phone call to my mom and people love my mom my mom is like she's the measured part because she'll always want to know what we're talking about and then like she was in seattle a little bit ago and i was like so mom how's seattle and she literally just launched into the seattle wikipedia page (laughs) (laughs) she's like every she's very like swiss and clinical and oftentimes the people that i have on my podcast are are queer and female comics and you know can be pretty crass like a lot of my mom's time on the podcast is campaigning for us to use better language (laughs) but um but i think my mom is a nice sort of balance to it you know like my my guest this week is joel kim booster who's talking about like gay sex parties Mm -hmm. and i'm sure my mom will be talking about like safety and not drinking too much (laughs) um so you grew up in canada Yes, I right? grew up in Toronto. And when did you move here? I moved to New York um, 11 years ago, and I moved to L.A. four years ago. How are you liking L.A.? Oh, it's so good. Moving from New York to L.A. is like taking your feet out of a blender and putting it in a foot bath. <laughs> you know, it's just like so chill and relaxed here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's always, to me, I, I ever since I started doing stand-up, I've always felt kind of 
not conflicted, but but as if I didn't truly fit into the quote um, like identity of what it is to be a stand up comic because mm. you know there's there's so much hype around this idea that you've got to be out doing shows three times a night, four times a night, five times a night, you and have to I'm be David Tell. You've got to be David Tell, and I'm not David Tell. <laughs> I'm Sabrina Jalise and I, I, I'm like now coming into a place where I, I'm realizing like stand up can mean what it means to me and it doesn't have to be the David Tell or whatever the legacy mm-hmm. um, thing was. And, and were you trying to do that in New York? I definitely was and it benefited me. I mean, I really did carve out and, and deepen my comedic voice when I was in New York. I was working really, really hard. But now with a kid and, and with sort of broadening my career and doing some acting and writing it's just nice to to have stand to continue to have stand up it's my longest career relationship and I'll never let it go but to have it in a way that's a little bit uh laxer and mm-hmm. and allows for me to live my life which allows for more writing and do you feel like LA is more conducive to that yeah because the culture around stand up i think a lot of people are doing stand up and a lot of things in LA Whereas in New York, it was mostly stand- if you're a stand up, you're a stand up, you're mm-hmm. a comics comic. And there's just I mean, it, there's there's a lot more um, opportunities to perform. I guess it's also just like it's the culture that you're around. Right. Like here in L.A., the culture is it, there's there's this huge industry. So you're going out for auditions and there's also, you know, the opportunity to staff on shows. There's so many places to put your energy mm-hmm. that. um it it just encourages the idea of expanding into those places. Whereas in New York, it's like when you're a comic, you're a comic, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my experience. Right. And did you always have aspirations to do all of it? Yes, totally. I actually just found my like eighth grade um, yearbook thing. Do you want me to read it? Yes. Okay. So I found my eighth grade yearbook thing. My friend sent it to me. And it's so cute because I never really thought of myself as wanting to be an actress. I think I I found I thought of myself as finding stand up so early. But but my eighth grade thing says, well, let's see. I'm trying to find something to write that's not going to A, embarrass, B, get me fired, C, ruin my reputation 10 years from now. Look at that. <laughs> you see, you were confident she you were going to be prophesied the Me Too movement. <laughs> um, therefore, I can't really answer any suggested questions. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Oh, who cares? I want to be an actress. <laughs> you can call me Bina. I love saying hi. I hate people who hate me. And well, I love Scott Wolf and Party of Five. <laughs> this is Sabrina signing off. <laughs> So right on the money about everything but my sexuality. Right. When did you come out? I came out when I was uh, 18. I fell in love with my first girlfriend. And then, you know, the reality set in. And because, I mean, you being gay before you realize you're gay, it's like, you know, the movie Memento. Mm -hmm. It's like Memento, but without any of the tattoos, like really (laughs) gay shit happens. But you immediately forget it because you're like, like in your mind, when that whole Scott Wolf thing. I actually wanted to be Scott Wolf when he was kissing Jennifer Mm. Love Hewitt on Party of Five. But I, you know, like I would have these fantasies about Jennifer Love Hewitt, like hugging her and feeling her like breasts against my body. But still in my mind, I'd be like, it would be the friendship of a lifetime. (laughs) You know, like you just classify because we could talk to each other about boys we like. (laughs) Yes, but not too much because we mostly liked each other. I used to think I used to spend a lot of time thinking like, why aren't there more love songs about friendship? Because mm-hmm. that's and you just don't. I mean, for me, I was like a good student. I was I was like, you know, relatively popular or socially. I just felt that I was normal. And there's this idea, I think, when you're younger of what normal is, and even p- people suffer from it. Well, and well, I just was talking about what it was to be a normal stand up. Mm-hmm. I think growing and coming into 
myself has been a lot of learning that like there is no normal and if anyone is trying to project normal then they're actually further away from who they actually are Mm -hmm. um did you you realized you were gay and then came out pretty quickly right um not necessarily there was like different phases of the press release went out in different phases (laughs) you know like i i um i was in this relationship in secret for a while and then i started telling my friends um and i told my parents about less than a year into the relationship but it wasn't right away mm-hmm. so sorry i always burp when i'm <laughs> speaking my truth um, it's okay it was a it was a passionate honest let, authentic burp that's right um so then i told my parents i told my mom on a friday and told her not to tell my dad because i thought my mom is swiss she's white and i was like this white lady's gonna have a real easy time with it little did i know she had like you know a big she it was for her being swiss i mean it's wild that she married my dad who's pakistani because so much of her life is about normalcy Mm -hmm. so much of her life and generationally you know like that generation didn't go to therapy it's not about digging deep it's about getting through the day right and and being normal and being good and and being gay there was no you know example for her to look at that her daughter was going to have like you know, a nice life being Mm -hmm. gay. I think for certain people, if you don't know how, if you don't know that it, all it is is just loving a different kind of person than what people expect Mm -hmm. you to love. Um, it's kind of like being like, yeah, I'm a crackhead mom deal with it. I'm, I love crack. That's what I love. Some people, you know, you love salad. I love crack. So she, by Sunday, was like, I cannot deal with this on my own. You're going to have to tell your dad. And I took this, like, long, like, walk up the stairs, like, just, like, not knowing, you know, it was really going to be this make or break thing. If my dad reacted poorly, then I would have been, you know, in a really shitty place. But my dad, you know, I was crying and I was like, Dad, I, you know, I told mom. And she's, my mom's thing, too, was like, I don't believe you. Just like, girl, I'm not with, do you think this is fun? <laughs> I'm like crying so hard. Boogers are rolling down my face. It's like, right. but she, but I said to my dad, mom doesn't believe me, but I am, I'm in a relationship with a girl and I'm gay. Um, and then he said, well, we know you're not a liar. And so we are going to have to deal with this and we love you. And it was just the sweet, you know, it was just like, okay, everything's going to be fine. Wow, and it took. It's interesting because it's like a, this typically female reaction versus this typically male reaction, which always seems like in in this day and age, especially for like someone like me who's like not a traditional female or male, it always feels like basic to be like male or female. Mm-hmm. But like you know what I mean, yes. male or female, not yeah. So so my dad had this reaction, which was like, I'm the captain of the ship and we're going to take it to land. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be okay. We love you. My mom had this reaction, which was like, I'm feeling all of the feelings. I'm looking through all of the circumstances. I'm fantasizing about how this could play out and I'm reacting to all of it. But in the long run, my mom actually dealt with it in a, in a deep way Mm -hmm. and was able to sort of be okay with my reminders because you got to keep on reminding people you're gay you know that relationship fizzled out and i had to be like off to my gay party with gay women (laughs) um and my mom would be like all right have fun let me know how it goes and my dad would be like come on still with this you know like it was a phase yeah yeah but but really what it really took for them to fully get it and accept it 
was me being in like a positive relationship where mm. they saw like, oh, cool. Yeah, she's just, you know, it's going to she's going to do all the things that that we envisioned her doing. But it's going to be with a woman. Mm-hmm. And in your stand up, you talk about your Muslim family mm-hmm. not accepting it. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I thought that had to be made up. Yeah. Um, so was that your extended family? That was my extended family. Yeah, my dad is the eldest of eight. And so we grew up like he he immigrated to, to Toronto and then all of our family immigrated like subsequently is the right word. I do believe mm. if you're running out of words, subsequently mm-hmm. is a good word. <laughs> I like that one. Um, subsequently they came and they all most of them like landed in our basement. And then, you know, my dad and mom kind of helped them get settled. And so we had this very this closeness of like be, before a lot of my aunts and uncles had kids. I was the first I was the we were the kids and so it was really devastating. And at the same time, looking back, you know, you, you're so when these things happen, basically what happened was after I got married. So this is years after. And how long ago did you get married? I got married. We got married seven years ago. Where? In Vermont. Mm-hmm. So sweet. If you Google Sabrina, Shauna with a U, uh, Vimeo, our wedding video comes up and it's so beautiful. Uh, so we had this beautiful wedding and then finally, cause for the longest time, my dad was like, come on, don't tell anyone. We just keep it a secret. And it's like, dad, I'm going to show up to family things with like my white best friend and our little kid best friend. <laughs> <laughs> we found him in a well. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, after we got married, it's like, all right, well, time to, time to tell everyone the good news. Were your parents at the wedding? My parents were at the mm-hmm. wedding. Yeah. It was really sweet. And and so I sent an email after we got married. Um and it really, you know, things kind of spun out from there. Um there was like no response and then there was kind of responses that were like, Well, Sabrina was this and she was that, but we cannot condone this and was what? Like was like, our it was basically niece? like it was like it was a eulogy. Like uh, some of my favorite cousins were like you know, she did, she did make us laugh and she, as if I was in the past tense, you know, but for them, like, you know, with this distance now, what I've realized is a, I went through my own version of that. I went through my own version of like, I remember being like drunk at at a club in my teens and real starting to realize like having my first crush on that first girlfriend and like looking at myself in the mirror and just saying no. And mm. I didn't even say no, you're not gay. I didn't say no. It was just no. Cause even to utter those words, cause I was deeply, I had this, you know, this another like, truth burp is happening. Another truth burp. <laughs> I thought I'd let that one slide by. <laughs> no, no, I uh, saw it. <laughs> yeah. You, you probably smelled that one. <laughs> no, uh, I didn't. Okay, actually. good. <laughs> um, so, so, Sorry, you were saying that you were starting to feel these things. I was things. starting to feel these things and you, you know, you don't want to have to deal with being different and you don't want to have to deal with being, uh, of, of being, I don't know. It was it, it, basically when I look back at the way that I came out to them, I, I now see from their side that it, how hard for also just being culturally where they're where they're at and Mm. religiously it's like to accept it was a gonna tell i think the biggest thing was to tell all the other kids in our family it's cool be be who you want to be which is a dangerous message when you are you know the game board of your life is a lot about structure and staying within the boundaries and right um and then b like going back to that the religion thing it's like it there are probably passages that say that you go to hell for mm-hmm. condoning this. And so, did, did you grow up Muslim? 
I grew up, no, my, my mother, well, I grew up going to the mosque for Ramadan, but I also celebrated Christmas. And so, but I wasn't like baptized or whatever the things are. I didn't have the, I didn't, we didn't choose any religion. My parents mm-hmm. just basically taught us about different religions and also said like, you know, be a good person. And mm-hmm. that's really what matters. Um, so I grew up a lot with, with that around me. Um, but really the message that I took away was that, you know, it, religions have really great guidelines uh, and can really encourage people to do the right thing. But at the same time, it's just like building a conscious con- conscience, mm-hmm. conscience, building a conscience in your tin, tin robot body <laughs> is most important. It's interesting because you mentioned earlier your dad like piloting the ship yes. um, to land and him being the eldest of eight. I, in my fantasy for what your life would have been like, him being okay with it would have set the tone for That's the whole what, family. Yes, I think that, and I think that was a really devastating thing for my parents because here was, you know, my my dad, who in a lot of ways was this paternal figure in the family, and my mom, who was this angel and had done so much for the family. So when they realized that that would that wasn't going to happen. They couldn't lead the way in that way. I think the beautiful thing that came of it was that they became these gay rights advocates. Oh, wow. You know, they became really sort of like, that's when it really, the message rang home for them where they were kind of, it was almost like they were on the other side of the argument from years before when I came out to them, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these things, they were now being faced with those same questions. And they were like, well, who cares? She loves, I mean, she's married to a gorgeous woman. (laughs) You know, she's married to a beautiful soul right um but anyway so time went by and slowly they started kind of coming back different you know i have different relationships with all i've got like hundreds of family members thousands um and and where we've landed is this beautiful place where despite this bump in our relationship despite this bump in in my identity for them we love each other and they care about me and and we've got this like family chat on whatsapp that now shauna whether she likes it or not is getting like 300 notifications a day (laughs) (laughs) so so we've landed in a in a beautiful place i think are you still upset about the way it all went down not at all no i think to hold on to that for me would be um just unnecessary weight you know mm-hmm. it's to me it's like looking back I'm, i i get it i also you know they weren't invited to my wedding and i know at the time that was something that was brought up at, at some point but it was shadowed by this idea that like my identity was wrong Mm. So it's like, well, if you didn't, you know, agree with the marriage to begin with, why would why would you think that you would be at the wedding celebrating? Right. But right. It's all mm. sort of it's all sort of murky. And, um, you know, I love them. And I'm, I'm proud of all of us. I'm proud of us. I'm proud for my parents that they've got this open heart and and that there's been this healing. And I'm proud of them that, you know. They've got this gay niece and it's, and now like the beautiful thing is now I'm on the sitcom playing a doctor, which is like, there's nothing brown people love more than having a doctor in the family. (laughs) And so I'm just a doctor on TV, but like, I'm the most visible brown doctor on TV. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about Carol's second act. Yes. It just uh, premiered. It premiered September 26th. Mm -hmm. It was the most watched new TV show. Hollywood Reporter did this article last week that was like, and 
also it was the most active actively watched which means that there's that some mean? kind of measurement that they put on people's faces i oh, guess wow. they put some kind of strap on on a face electric strap on that's not the right <laughs> way to describe whatever it is but and they, subsequently and, that, and nobody blinked um but yeah it's doing it's doing really well and like every step of the way for that i wasn't really focused on acting at all so it's just been sort of like i slipped and fell on a horseshoe and it went straight up my butt and i'm not taking it out <laughs> <laughs> and you play a doctor i play a doctor dr lexi galani mm-hmm. first in her family to go to college let alone be a doctor okay I know my character. My character's got a backstory. It's so crazy because I've been writing. I'd been writing on shows for four years. Had not been. Fo- I-, I thought I would cast myself in something, mm. and then I wrote on a show with Sarah and Emily, who are the writers of this Patricia Heaton show, and they said come down and and audition. And I was like, all right, I'll take take a sick day from Big Mouth and the writers' room there and go eat snacks over there. And then I got the wrong side, so I didn't even. I wasn't prepared at all. But I just kind of like, you know, Sides winged it. Is, is showbiz Sides. talk for the script. Listen, uh, gather around a chair and we'll tell you about the bush, kids. <laughs> a headshot is not a gunshot to the head. It's a picture, honey. <laughs> so, uh, so I grab my sides and uh, I don't have the right sides and I just kind of like wing it through the audition and then, you know, apparently Patricia Heaton saw that audition and really liked it and was like, that's Lexi, that's the one. And and now here I am playing wow. golf with Patty on the weekends and, <laughs> you know, just literally dream job. I didn't even know. I didn't know it, you know, because I think especially currently the dream is to have like a single camera show that's done really artfully mm-hmm. and like authentically tells the be truth (laughs) but there's something so incredible about this like you know classic format first of all there's the audience which is like that's such a continuum of my you know stand-up world Mm -hmm. it's it's such a nice it it marries the writing and the stand-up and the acting in this beautiful way for me and so in some ways it's like I'm complete I'm the newest person on that stage mm-hmm. and in other ways I'm I'm the most used to right. this audience. Right. Do you f- as a stand up now doing a multicam sitcom in front of an audience um do you find that you is there a temptation to like play to them in a way Definitely. That, how do you deal with that? Um I think I also so I'm a stand up so I know I know jokes I know jokes um <laughs> and but I'm also a writer so I know what it is to stay in a writer's room till you know 1 in the morning to try and get jokes in so I think I'm both I'm respectful of the of the script but then once we've got it there's you know nothing more fun than playing in that moment and and the writers are really funny they bring in some really funny alts as well mm-hmm. An alt, gather around, okay? An alt is an alternative line. So you shoot the, you shoot the as scripted line, and then someone comes in and says, what if she said papaya? Everyone <laughs>, laughs and says, we've got to do it one way with papaya. <laughs> it's a funny word, this papaya. This is a master class. <laughs> this is a master class, and we should be charging you more for this, okay? <laughs> to be honest, it is a miracle that we're giving this away for free. <laughs> Today's episode brought to you by The Goody Goody. The Goody Goody. I only have 57 reviews on iTunes. Please give me more. You have 58, actually. Uh, yeah, 58? That, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't believe you know. <laughs> I do, because I was looking today, and I thought, this is a travesty that you don't this have is a tra- more. Well, it's a new podcast, so get on it. Get Buy on low, it, sell high. Um, the Goody Goody name. The Goody Goody name. Where did that come from? And I know that in the second episode with Natasha Legero, you 
address it, but I have not yet heard it. Oh, you haven't heard it? Okay, cool. I heard so the first Natasha Basically, one. well, this actually ties back to my family. My my grandmother, um, Ami, she uh, died of Alzheimer's last year. Alzheimer's devastating disease. But one beautiful thing about it was that my you know my grandma would be the last person that would be like perfect you're gay you know like she would be deeply because of the culture and religion all that but because of alzheimer's it it takes away your memories from the most recent so that you're left kind of childlike and in my grandmother's childlike self my wife shauna and i got to babysit her one night and we were like you know we were affectionate with each other and my my ummy was like so happy about it she was you know saying in urdu that she was so happy that i'd found this love and so happy you know just holding shauna's face and it's kissing it cry. it was so sweet we were just like dancing you know dancing in the kitchen i was making her unlimited teas which i knew was special because every time i set the kettle to boil she'd go up to the kettle and she'd be like goody 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 and so that relationship between her and that kettle you know is what i want to achieve conversationally i just want to get to the goody goody you know that goody 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 the next day my mom called and was like how many teas did you give to ami i was like unlimited teas bitch we were having a party well i wish you didn't she peed the bed a lot it's like was she upset? She's like, no. I was like, goody, goody, goody. <laughs> and is she your mom's mom? She's my dad's mom. So my dad is Pakistani. My mother is Swiss. Right. Oh, right, right. Yes. Sorry. You said because of the culture. Get the races right, Allison. I okay? did not study the family tree okay? that I received ahead of time. I sent you my 23 and me. <laughs> <laughs> so unprofessional. Have you actually done it? 23 and me? I have it. Uh, and we haven't spat into the thing yet. I don't know what we're waiting for. Literally every single weekend, we're like, we got to do that, but it's so easy. I give you my tip for if you find yourself short on spit, which I didn't expect would happen. I don't think that's a problem. (laughs) That's uh, I hate to brag, but I'm pretty lubed in the mouth. All right. Well, last. (laughs) Wait, what was your tip? My tip is. Get at, open your refrigerator, look at food, see what. Oh my God, yeah. you're so funny. I literally got out because first I'm like, I'm going to smell a lemon. And then I, I, the thing that worked the best for me, <laughs> I'm, I'm salivating just thinking about it. The thing that worked the best, honestly, was a jar of olives. I opened it up and smelled it. And then it was just, I was a, I was a Sabrina Jalise <laughs> at that point. <laughs> well, yeah, Sabrina Jalise. So I have this like, for my whole life, I've just been always like talking so much and so excited that I build up saliva in the corners of my mouth. It's not a hot thing. Look, I've got it under control. <laughs> 34 now. What um show were you writing on with Emily and Sarah? It was called The Mayor on ABC. Mm. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about Search Party? Yes, please. I love that show. And it's going to be out on HBO Max early next year. And I do play a valet driver. And I am dressed like an Easter egg in it. And I do have a very long ponytail. I honestly, the way I look in that show is not great, but the show is super funny. <laughs> I love that show. I didn't realize. Maybe I did realize it was switching from TBS to HBO Max. Well, that show deserves to be on a streaming platform so hard and so bad and so good because it is so. It's a goody goody. It's a goody goody thing to binge. Mm-hmm. Um, the act Alia Shawkat is so brilliant in it. John Early. Oh my God, his performance. So incredible. You know, John Early and I used to run uh, with our friend Lisa Traeger. We used to, and Jacqueline Novak uh, ran a weekly comedy show at the Cake Shop in New York in the Lower East Side. What was it called? Uh, Comedy at Cake Shop, I think. 
and we i mean it's just so i'm so proud of everyone like jacqueline's doing great i mean john is like offer only for movies it's incredible i I had him on the show i love him um he did not tweet about his appearance and i still am upset about it Oh, isn't that funny (laughs) is is that classic him please tell me it is i mean it could be he's just a busy guy He's a busy, busy guy. I don't know know about that. No, he is super busy. (laughs) Or maybe you got some really good secrets out of him that he's like, I find, you know, when people haven't tweeted about the podcast, Mm -hmm. I'll like reach out to them and they'll be like, well, I said that thing about that thing. And it's like, you know, you want people to divulge and be open. But I think on the offset, on the drive home, sometimes people are like, why did I tell them the shape of my pussy? (laughs) (laughs) Why did I? Well, that is a way of looking at that makes me feel better. I do think I love him. Guess what? Yeah. I'm a tweet about this appearance. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm going to get a hot air balloon about it. That's what I want. I'll put the URL in the hot air balloon. <laughs> okay? Thank you. That is, that's the kind of broadcasting that I'm looking Find for. Find out the shape of my pussy. <laughs> Did you work on multiple seasons of Search Party? Um, no. Well, I wanted to work on this next one. I only kind of met them and uh, got brought in on season three and now they've been writing and working on season four which i really wanted to get in on and we were trying to make it work but it just didn't work with the carol second act uh, mm. schedule which is like just such a spoil of riches i, I yeah. was aware the whole time i was s- launching into that sentence that it was going to end with me being like feeling good <laughs> just didn't work out with my schedule <laughs> <laughs> okay so grew up in canada grew up in canada uh what was your childhood like my childhood was long yet short, <laughs> big yet small. My childhood was, you know, in some ways, I think I look at pictures of myself when I was like nine and 10 years old and I'm like, oh my God, I was so much closer to my gender identity then, you know, I went through this sort of um, process, this like Pygmalion kind of like, I, I'm also like, why can't I just say things like Pygmalion and just let it slide and keep talking? But I just, no, I want to be, either. I just want to be conscious of the fact that I know that play mm-hmm. and it was a great reference that I just made. <laughs> yeah. Eliza Doolittle. Someone but just this, is educated. Uh, someone went to school. Someone has done some reading. Um, so let's just insert an applause break there. And then, okay, perfect. Thank Tony, you guys so much. So yes, did you I hear have her say plays. Pygmalion. Yes, I, I did. did. Yeah. And Pygmalion is not a standard word. So just to even remember that word. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, like going into middle school and then high school, this idea of like grooming yourself to be a girl and what it is to be a girl, which I never fit into that mold anyway. It just, it, but, but when I was younger, when I was a little babe, I was, you know, had a mushroom cut, wore my brother's old clothes, <laughs> which is more kind of like what I'm wearing now. Um, and it was fun. I had a lot of cousins around growing up. So I think that was like kind of the beginning of, performance for me was like entertaining these 20 little cousins and uh i got in trouble for running a little small casino out of our garage <laughs> what, kind, what were you doing <laughs> what kind of games i found like this old <laughs> grill like something you would put in front of a window and i colored um certain it was white and i colored certain holes red certain holes blue certain holes green and then um I would let people play this game where you threw marbles on it. And if you landed on whatever the color was, you would triple your money, double your money, you know? So people were like addicted to this game. And I was just like, I was fun. It was a quarter per try, but I was like just minting money, you know, (laughs) walking away with dozens of dollars, maybe just $12, but in quarters. Who busted you? Uh, The neighborhood parents were like, where's all your money going? (laughs) (laughs) 
but yeah, I'd say I was pretty uh, business savvy. Mm-hmm. When the family was over, I would um, do 50-50 draws, which 50% of the money would go to the winner, 50% mm-hmm. would go to me. Usually it's like a charity. But <laughs> <laughs> so you started at 16. I started performing. doing stand-up at 16, yeah, because yeah, I, I was just so into... I, kn- I knew at that time, you know, I just read you that yearbook thing. I knew that I wanted to get attention. I just didn't really know you know, where it was going to be from. And then I discovered stand up. We realized we could go to comedy clubs and it was cheaper than going to a movie. We could see live performers. And if we sat in the front, they would, they would point us out and make fun of us, which was like, Oh my God, what a bonus. That's a little bit of attention right there. Yeah. But, but walking out of my first stand up show, someone handed me a flyer and it's, it, you know, that said open mic night and anybody can go up and call in this phone number. And the first time I called, I got in and I went up on stage and, talked about you know the way people talk to babies i had braces and like probably still half a mustache that wasn't electrolysized <laughs> off yet and i just like the it, it it was like the it was just that thing that you hear where it's just like immediately i'm hooked you know that first laugh was just i mean i was a kid and i had all the attention of all these grown-ups mm-hmm. and then in terms of people always ask like well weren't you scared you were so little but you know when you're little and you just you you're not afraid to fall because you don't know what, how hard it hurts, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, there, the stakes were low for me. If the, if it didn't go well, I mean, I still I lived in my parents' house because that's where I was supposed to live at that time. Right. So I was also doing kind of stand up type bits in at school, and I remember thinking like, this is great. I can work on my school assembly stuff here at this <laughs> club with these drunk losers. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to run into them in the hallway tomorrow. <laughs> Did you do some, did you have a position in at assembly? Um, I'd emceed a lot of things. Um, and then I would submit like, you know, sketches and stuff like that. Oh, how cool. Yeah. So, uh, so take me, take me through your career. Like what was the next thing? So the next thing, well, actually that first night it was at Yuck Yucks comedy club in Toronto, at Young, and Egg- Young and Eglinton at the time. And the owner of the club, Mark Breslin was stopping by to grab something. And so I got called to his office after the, after the show, um, and I was like, well, I'm about to get famous. Better, <laughs> better let the teachers know I'm not going to be in school because I'm about to be on HBO tomorrow. <laughs> um, but, and he kept on telling me, he's like, you know, you've got talent. You're very green. You're very, very green. And I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. I thought that meant like, I'm in the money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he said, you know, I'll, I'll let the guy who runs the open mic know to put you on when you call in. And so pretty soon I, I was doing a lot of stuff about being Pakistani and it was in 2002. So right after nine 11 and it was a lot of a reaction to this Islamophobia that I was kind of in the midst of because people didn't know mm. to mask their racist comments with me. Cause I look, you know, Italian, Brazil, Portuguese, whatever, you know, ambiguous. So, uh, because I was talking from this place of this relevant truth, um, I, was pretty much like working professionally six months into it. And I really, in at that time, stand up was kind of like a job for me, you know, I, I, and I didn't, it wasn't until I moved to New York when I was 22 that I really had to like hit the pavement and, mm-hmm. and grind like stand up. It was kind of this backwards thing where stand up was something that I was, I of course loved it, but it was like, I got paid whenever I did stand up. It was like this really privileged. Right. Did beginning. you realize how unusual that was? Not till I moved to New York and I, I, I like started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Now I'm back to the bottom. <laughs> was I like, holy shit. And 
I had to relearn the same lesson. Everything that, that made me successful in the beginning was something that I had to relearn when it came to being owning being gay. Because mm-hmm. I, I really couldn't reconcile the idea of both being brown and talking about that and also being gay. When now, I mean, look, looking back, it's like, that's such a silly thing. Those are it's just like identities are layered. Mm-hmm. But there was just, you know, I, I just like, I, I was, I had like toured with this comedy, um, this tour called Allah made me funny, which is like a Muslim comedy tour mm-hmm. there. I was doing like all these South Asian comedy shows and it just didn't seem like that was, that was the right move. And I actually got advice from people being like, don't come out. It'll be that bad for business. Like the legacy because- at that time was like Ellen came out mm-hmm. in her sitcom. Her sitcom was canceled. You know, there's no parts that you would go audition for that would be like for a gay person. So why would you cast yourself or, or pigeonhole yourself? Mm, that's so interesting. Did that hold me back entirely? Hold me back for years. <laughs> well, did it? Yeah, totally. It. I mean, it plateaued me. I wasn't getting, I was, because I mean, you weren't being, you weren't doing your truth burps on stage. I wasn't doing my truth burps. If you're not burping, you're not living. <laughs> if you're not burping and farting simultaneously for the whole duration of your set, you haven't done a good job. <laughs> um, it, you know what? After like, after this airs, I'm going to want to find a little clip to use to promo. And I'm going to be wanting to punch myself that I mentioned that I, interrupted something that's like a real moment with this dumb joke which one the the truth burps thing oh no i think the truth burps no this is your truth that's your truth burp thank you your truth burp is is jokes (laughs) but but and that truth moment after your joke um it it's because it's not that everything that i needed to write was like and i'm gay 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 and a gay gay day it was (laughs) although that killed um it was that holding back it was such a big thing that i was going through and and barring myself from talking about it was barring myself from being open so mm-hmm. i was completely clogged creatively and it wasn't till i moved to new york and i started touring colleges and still was closeted um, were you doing jokes about being straight or just not i just wasn't addressing it got it um Although early on I had, before I knew I was gay, I had like a really embarrassing joke looking back that was like, you know, girls, when a guy likes you and you're just like, gross, like, it's like when they like, when, when they don't like you, you're like, I'm into it. But then as soon as they like you back, you're like, you're disgusting. (laughs) And it's like, am I right, ladies? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone feels this way. (laughs) Um, And uh, how did you dress on stage? Um, you've got to do a Google image search and see the many different ways that I tried, you know, (laughs) just dangly earrings and, Mm. but it would be like a melange, you know, there'd be like, like a flannel button up, but then with like lycra type pants (laughs) and then like dangly earrings and a beret. (laughs) Uh, My wife is a wardrobe stylist now and she does not approve, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I I just kind of realized it was I was on the road doing sorry for that bang just banged my head against the wall. <laughs> uh, I realized I was doing these colleges and I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm not writing anything new, and I'm here. I am this gay person that I was in the, I was kind of starting to fall in love with my wife, or I immediately fell in love with her when I saw her. But in the beginning stages of our relationship, and I have this exciting thing to talk about. And I'm holding myself back and I could be the only gay person to come speak at this school. So I've got to do something. I've got to come out. And in the beginning, it was like actually like this sort of 
so I'm gay, you know, like a joke to like address the, uh, that I'm gay. And it's in this like apologetic mm-hmm. tone or this trepidatious tone. And it would never go over well. Mm-hmm. But once I started owning it and being kind of proud of it and um, it, it completely changed for me. And all of a sudden it was like this, like, you know, this dam broke and there was so much to write about and not just about my relationships. It was just now I was owning who I was. And so there was kind of this breakthrough. And shortly after that, I, um, I just started doing cooler shows in New York and got this really great manager, Sam Safer, who I still work with and I love. And, um, things just started happening for me. Was it scary? So scary. Yeah. It's always so scary in the beginning to say something that you feel and the momentum in your life has been that, you know, this is going to be something that's uncomfortable, that, you know, people are going to have a hard time sorting you out and placing you. It's so, so, so scary, but so equally liberating on the other side of it. You know, and like just the idea of me now being on this CBS show, I never would have thought, you know, mm-hmm. CBS, Les Moonves out, Sabrina Julie's in. Perfect. <laughs> you know, it's like times have changed and I think we're realizing and, and we're wanting to um, consume authenticity. Mm-hmm. And that's such a nice place for and, and a liberating place for all of us that the things that make you not perfect are actually going to be the things that make you in the end and, and that draw people to you because we're all not perfect. But I can imagine if you're feeling like if I do this thing, this might, this might like crater my career. Yeah. And That'd it's never really scary. It it would be really scary. And if you are in that position you know, if you work at an office that you don't feel supports you, I think the deeper thing though is like any breakup, it seems like it's such a tragedy at the time, but looking back, would you, do you really want to be in that relationship? We Mm -hmm. only have one life is, is this relationship with, with whether it's an audience or a boss or an acting job where you can't be yourself. Um, is that really where you want to spend your life? Right. Yeah. Right. So you're in New York and, and this dam breaks and all of a sudden you're, you're feeling much more creativity um, and, and doing cooler shows. And then what, what happened after that? What happened after that? um, So, so I got my manager, Sam, and I actually, one big thing, big like plot point in my career was doing Adam and Divine's house party. He had a show on Comedy Central. It was a comedy showcase. And so it shot in in New Orleans. And that was my first American uh, comedy TV credit was shooting it. And, and this guy, Scotty Land- Landis, Scotty Landis is this amazing angel. Like he wrote the movie Ma. He's, he's like super successful um, and such a great dude. And after my set, we started talking and drinking and he was like, you know, a lot of your jokes seem like they could be a sitcom. Like you should write a sitcom. And I was like, well, how would I do that? And I'd always wanted to, I really like, I think people think, cause I started doing stand up at 16. They're like, well, you don't know what it's like to like, you know, put something on ice and then all of a sudden you're frozen and the stakes build. And it's like, I think I did, I really did do that with, mm-hmm. with writing a script. I thought, well, I don't want to, once you execute it and then you read, what if it's shit and all of that. But Scotty gave me the confidence and um the push to write my first pilot and that was a really huge thing for me because it opened up the door to writing for tv and i 
I highly recommend it for anyone that is curious about it. For anyone that does stand up, it's like to ha- if you've already done the work to develop a creative, a, a comedic voice, um, just go the extra mile and buy final draft <laughs> or get a pirated version <laughs> and, and hammer out a script. It opens the door to staffing on shows, especially if you're diverse, especially if you're a woman, you know, the industry is realizing now that they need those voices. And so I got staffed on, on uh, my first TV show four years ago, which was on NBC called crowded. And, um, and I learned, you know, how to, how to write on a multicam. And, and that was based off of the pilot that you used as based a off of the pilot. And the pilot was sort of like, and everybody loves Raymond, mm. um, style or concept where, uh, it was based on Shauna, my wife and I, um, visiting that my initial pilot was about Shauna and I visiting, um, her parents who are from the South and, um, you know, military family go to church every Sunday, and and over the course of the pilot, we're moving in with them. And over the course of the pilot, they realize we're not business partners. We're actually partner. We're partner partners. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was super fun to write. And I actually ended up selling uh, my first script that was sort of based on that um, to Fox last year. I sold my first. Uh, yeah, I got my first. Warner Brothers gave me a blind script deal, and then I teamed up with Diablo Cody, Brooke, and sh- and and we sold this uh, sitcom to Fox. And so, at the, be- I guess, and what's it? Did that one get made? No, and it, that was sort of this another interesting kind of like you know one door closes and you're fixated on that door mm-hmm. and then the window or whatever. How that? This, I don't know how that. I've read the Pygmalion. I don't need to know every <laughs> goddamn figure of speech. <laughs> a termite poops and the other one sh- pees. <laughs> When God when closes one, a when the Lord door, he opens gets a, a termite to bite a hole through <laughs> your house, but then you know the bricks collapse. Another termite <laughs> bites a bigger hole. Yes, no, but so the, so my show uh, that I had written that I thought I would star in and all of this stuff was d- did not get shot, and so that was like wow. But then this opportunity to audition and then be in this show starring Patricia Heaton, who was coming off of like two decades of being on TV, which really like the amount of stars that need to align in this business for you to like land on a show that gets picked up yeah, and then land on a show that gets picked up and does well is like with active viewers, with active, with active viewers, strap ons on their face. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a real glimmer of a chance and I just feel so grateful and lucky. And then again, to go back, Back to this this thing of being your true self. I I had gone through such a long period when I was in New York, even after I'd come out on stage, where I was like, I you know, I took this workshop where they were like, you know, your problem is that you you don't look enough like a girl or a boy, so you just you got to get like get a padded bra and get some spanks and you know like when they are casting women that way you'll look like women. But now you know what I've realized is like be fully yourself in the way i mean it's so it feels like a cliche but like no one can do it like you Mm -hmm. to be fully you and that's how you get invited to the party people are like who's that girl she looks like she's really having fun just being herself not trying to be anyone else and so it's so interesting like it was not until it's one of those like annoying sort of like you'll find love when you're not looking for it and Mm -hmm. it's like bitch how do i do that I'm clearly not looking for it because I'm looking for it, you know? But now what would your advice be to the person who's looking, who's listening, who's yeah. like, but I don't quite know who I am. 
just work. I mean, just like, I think you do deep down inside and we're, you know, we're all put through whatever it is I was put through feeling like I've got to be some version of myself that is more suitable or more pal- palatable. And it's, I think, going deeper into what it is that what do you actually find funny and what do you actually like wearing and what do you actually like doing and and which of your friends actually make you feel supported and leaning into all of those things that make you feel giddy giddy and you know i'm not sitting here saying like i know exactly who i am i think we're all evolving but i look at my son and the way that he is completely you know there's not a he's one and a half and he hasn't been affected or infected Mm. yet with expectations of like well you should laugh here you know he makes people feel so self-conscious because they're i will do i will give like 150 percent on like you know some monster character or some joke and he'll look at me like why are you trying so hard (laughs) but then you know i'll burp and he'll you know he'll be on the floor laughing (laughs) and it's just this i love that burps are my thing on this podcast like yeah the burpy bitch the burpy authentic bitch (laughs) um i think all of us getting back to a little more of that like the way our babies Mm -hmm. are are true to themselves and what they want and of course we can't all be like shitting our pants and crying and then laughing and then crying and then laughing or we'll get sent to the loony bin but something close to that would be cool minus the poop pants Mm-hmm. You know, there's some things that we refine outside of the authentic organic <laughs> self. Can we talk about this workshop for a minute that told you to wear a padded bra and Spanx? Yeah. What was this? You know, a lot of people rave about them. So I don't want to say their names because I think people get good stuff out of it. It's like no one can be perfect to everyone. But Are they it was, in LA? It, they're in New York. Okay. And it was this workshop. And they were actually really nice and thought I was funny and everything. But their advice truly was. And I had, you know, this has come in different iterations throughout my career from respectable people saying, A, don't come out or B, dress a little bit more to fit this role. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, for commercials... Yeah, that's probably the right advice. But commercial, the bigger, the bigger sort of lesson for me was that's not, I went to hundreds of those auditions. I never booked anything. Yeah. The, the better, I think, advice for me or looking back was to focus on building myself and build and writing for myself. Um, it, it really wasn't until I was just looking down at my page and, and developing my own stuff that people were like, Hey, well, we want you over here. How did you meet your wife? I met her uh, at a bar in San Francisco. There was this gay party called Brownies for Bitches. I was doing a show in town and uh, a friend of mine took me to this party. And I literally had, I I was like six months out of a a breakup, uh, out of being broken up with. So I was kind of, you know, brokenhearted and like, you know, that vibe of like, ugh. I literally said out loud to my friend, I'm like, I'm never going to be attracted to anyone again. (laughs) And then I took a sip of this magic gin and tonic and I looked up and Shauna was there and she was dancing and it was, you know, exactly what we're talking about. She was dancing by herself, having so much fun. And I was like, I want to cast you in the sitcom of my life, (laughs) you know, but then you did. Well, that that was like, that's where tenacious Jaleese comes out. And it's like, I knew the stakes were high from the beginning. I was like, I can't, what, what do you, how do you tell someone they're your wife? I really felt really you like, mean before you even, before talked to I her? even talked to her, I wow. was like, I just felt this, you know, this strong connection. 
And what a psycho. I felt a strong connection before I'd ever spoken to her. Um, <laughs> no, but but, you're right. I, so she was smoking outside and I, she doesn't smoke anymore. I grabbed a cigarette from my friend and I said, can I have a light? And then her butch friend lit my cigarette and I'm like, not you, scram, <laughs> scram, butchie. Two butches don't make a right. Was her butch friend was talk- into you? I don't know. I think her butch friend was trying to cock block me. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a hilarious term for me to appropriate. <laughs> Trying to block my dick. Uh, so, uh, so she's talking to me about visiting New York, and I'm like, "Well, I'm a stand-up comic, so I could get you tickets to a cool comedy show because that's an interesting job because I'm a stand-up comic." Um, and Shauna had kind of like turned at times when I was like joking and laughed at things that I said, and uh, it was getting late, so I just I basically had not talked managed to talk to her yet and i just had these business cards these like eager canadian girl prince business cards of her <laughs> headshot not a bullet but a picture headshot it says like comedian and my phone number and i gave her the business card and i said i've been trying to talk to you all night i just want to tell you i think you're super cute i have one more day in san francisco if you're free tomorrow text me and then sweet yeah and then she said looked at me and she said well i think you're super cute and then we kissed on the cheek and it was like fireworksy like it was just like electric and she's got tattoos and she's cool and i was like i bet i can turn this into a mouth kiss <laughs> i went in to like get, try to french kiss her and she looked at me and kissed me on the cheek again <laughs> uh but the next day she texted me and uh and we met up and just like made out all night till my flight at six in the morning and um, she was like, you know, just so you know, I'm not really into relationships. I'm kind of a butterfly. And I was like, oh, yeah, me too. I'm totally a butterfly. I'm just floating around. And uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm like booking my flight to come back to fly fly in and put all of her stuff on Craigslist and move her to New York in two weeks. <laughs> so that's what happened. I moved. I, I, I like went back to visit her two weeks later and uh, resized a ring that she let me wear for the day and just went full psycho on her. Went full psycho lesbian. Stole her heart stole her furniture <laughs> i didn't steal do you understand what i'm saying i feel like i'm telling it the story in a really fast way but basically i i i went to visit her she said over dinner that she would consider moving to new york went to work the next this is day two weeks later two weeks later i took pictures of all of her furniture and put it on craigslist and i was like you know you don't have to sell it but like you know you could get this money for it because if we're going to move to new york we got to get rid of your shit how did she feel about I actually didn't um, I didn't I'm not sure I got all that for the first time you told the yeah, story. Yeah, no, I told it in a really uh as if English was my second language <laughs> and you guys knew the whole story to begin with. <laughs> or as if you're telling a poem about it and yes. we need to like crack it yes. later and figure That's... out, you know, what's meant So have you cracked what's... the code, audience? <laughs> Tweet in if you've cracked the code. How did she feel about this grand gesture Probably of not her super comfortable? <laughs> Especially for someone who's like, you know, take things slow because I'm really not the relationship type. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I immediately clipped her butterfly wings. But I think she I mean, I I know that she felt strongly she felt we we fell in love pretty fast. So, I mean, I got away with it. Yeah. That's the way whenever she talks about this, whenever she's like this bitch resized a ring that I lent her for the day. I'm always like, yeah, but was I right or was I wrong? wait why did she lend you a ring though well she was it was like a cute thing where she was like you can wear my ring and i was like okay cool it's mine i'll get it resized because it's a little snug <laughs> <laughs> um so then she moved to new york with you 
then she moved to New York, lived around the corner from me because she's smart oh. and she understands about boundaries and stuff like that. Because it was six months into our relationship that she moved to New York. I would have, I mean, I was showing up at her house after she got home from work being like, what should we do tonight and for the rest of time? And she's like, <laughs> first of all, how did you get in here? Your roommate let me in. And it's like, I just was, I mean, I, uh, I was 23 and eager and knew that I loved this woman Mm -hmm. yeah from the beginning did have you guys been together ever since yes it's been 11 years in april was 11 years yeah no 10 years in april and you have a one and a half year old who thinks that farts are funny he thinks farts are so funny and they are really like they're such a surprising joke that your body tells you (laughs) yeah with a scent you know, the noise is funny. Then there's the scent. That's another funny. That's called a callback. <laughs> now, the smell of a fart is a callback. And I'll teach you how in the next workshop if you purchase it. <laughs> My son, hey, he'll fart and then he'll laugh and I go, I guarded. I guarded. I guarded. <laughs> <laughs> and then if Owen, the baby, farts, he also thinks it's really funny. So, But I think it's really funny, too. So we, we share that. Um, Can I read deeply into that? Um, <laughs> I guarded. Now, I guarded. You did. You protected us. You know, a fart can be a protection. Right. No one's going to sit next to you on the bus if you guarded. (laughs) You guarded. You have a joke in your stand up about people saying, um, how did you decide which one of you guys was going to have the baby? Oh, yeah. In my uh, 15 men's best. Yes. I'm going to ask it anyway, though. Okay. I actually don't know. You know, once you tape jokes, then you kind oh, of you forget, forget what them. The joke was. It was the, your, your sporty spice. She's oh, baby yeah. Spice, yeah. I'm sporty spice. She's baby spice. I have the broader shoulders. I carry heavy luggage. She carry right. a baby. Yeah. Uh, it is being fun. Just like two women with a baby. Cause there is like mystery to it. You know, right. people look at you like you're two pigeons with a hat. <laughs> like, you know, Who are those pigeons and who gave them that cool hat? <laughs> and how did they decide who, who would wears wear it? it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, check out my uh, my special. It's under the comedy lineup on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And then listen to my podcast, The Goody Goody. And is this too much promo? No, it's perfect amount. But the, but but really, how did you guys decide? Um, was it was always just naturally going to be her. You know, I think there's like certain roles in relationships outside of gender that you know one person ends up being the one that will cook, and the other one's the one that will clean. And I'm the cooker. She's the cleaner. I'm the, you know, I take care of the mortgage stuff. She takes care of, you know, like designing the house and keeping it the way, you know, like she, our house would look so terrible without her and we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't own the house without me. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's kind of this tendency to be like, I'm the man of the relationship, but really it's just roles. I think people fit together oftentimes like a beautiful relationship is beautiful because of its balance mm-hmm. that one person kind of picks up where the other leaves off and uh it allows you both to lean into your manness and womanness parenting wise do you do you take different roles yeah i think i i, I feel kind of like a dad mm-hmm. and i think that that's like it's a weird thing because dad is associated with that gender but he calls us both mama i i'm the plan is that he calls me baba which is urdu for a dad mm-hmm. um but i'm you know like i'm a little stricter with him um she's a little easier on him and i mean he's a kid so i'm not like what <laughs> strict means like just like no <laughs> i have a deep voice now <laughs> um par- i mean like disciplining is hard huh yeah because it's like what are you actually it's it, you get to a point where like you know they throw, throw a piece of food on the floor and you're like no 
and then like the time passes and it's like what how do you really send the message home you feel ridiculous right. after five beats yeah i know that the only times that we've there have been a few times that we've raised our voice went like he um went through a phase where he would want to grab something out of the toilet like he'd see toilet yeah. paper in there and want to grab it and just without thinking about it i just went no um and- i guard it <laughs> <laughs> And then another time he was like uh, doing like about to do something with the washing machine. Um, and Daniel's like, Elliot, no. And both times there's like someone will say no in kind of a stern voice. And then there'd be a pause and then he'd go, no. Yes, no. exactly. Like and then it's like, oh, great. And and no was the uh, one of the first words he used and started putting in heavy rotation. And we're like, he speaks. This is amazing. But then cut to day two. And it's like, uh, can you learn a different word? <laughs> right. <laughs> But I think I think it like freaked him out enough that he was just sort of like replaying it, replaying yeah, it. Yeah, and then I felt I feel like my bad. son is just kind of like mimicking. He's like doing <laughs> he's roasting us. It's the Comedy Central roast of no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you want to have more? We would like to, yeah. But we're having a lot of fun with this one. Um, like we travel with him a bunch, and I don't see us taking the same trips um, right. and just having the same life with with two. So I think we are interested in adoption. I think that's something in the horizon, and maybe adopting, taking some time, and and having one for a while, and then adopting later on. If we adopt a, a child that's not a baby, maybe too. We're just we're right now. Everything was so harmonious with the way we conceived wolfie um that we're just sort of like going with the flow and see and see and continuing to like check in and see how we feel definitely with the with the eye on having another baby but not um it's not a, a rush right now mm-hmm. how was last comic standing oh that was so long ago and what season was it it was like i don't even know what season but i was on it twice once in toronto and then once in new york and what happened was when i was in it, in it in new york i was so excited and the producers were so complimentary and then when i went to do the showcase they were like well you can't actually be on the show because you don't have a green card you need i had an o1 visa so this is the you know the what's the word the dilemma for canadian performers Mm -hmm. is like i've spent like over 25 grand on on lawyers and visas and stuff like that and then you spend all that money and then you're you don't have the right visa right oh that sucks all right. So I take questions from Patreon and Twitter, uh, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. If you do your question there, you get it in ahead of the queue. Ahead of the queue, baby. And uh, we have a song. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. All right. Whitney C. would like to know, what's a song lyric she especially loves or identifies with? A song lyric I especially love or identify with. Well, my wife, given that love story that I told you, my wife uh, always laughs at the Morrissey song. The more you ignore me, the closer I get, you're wasting your time. Uh, because of the, my love language being stalking. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what's another song lyric that I really like? I, I mean, well, Lizzo, I'm going to see her tonight. And oh, I love, wow. I just took a DNA test last night. Turns out I'm a hundred percent that bitch. I yeah. Mean, perfect. Such great confidence music. I like rap and hip hop for that reason. There's often like, just like these anthems of like, yeah, yeah. Cause another thing that I'm, kind of realizing 
with getting cast in this thing or just like looking back at the moments that I was successful. It's always like when you are erring on the side of not giving a shit mm-hmm. that things kind of flow your way. But it's got to be in an authentic way. Why is that though? Is that because that most people are just everyone is insecure and so when someone comes in and they really don't give a shit everyone's attracted to that well i think it's like uh you can't drink your kool-aid too hard because that's also Mm off-putting i mean you can be successful from it but like no one i find those people are hard to connect with and when you get deeper they're not that happy Mm -hmm. but like for instance like my wife dancing at that bar it's like she was genuinely having fun so i could see her shining and really wanted to be a part of it whereas if you if you're me at the bar (laughs) or not that it's just i I think it's just like uh i think confidence uh is infectious and people want to be around it because it feels good Mm -hmm. and because ultimately like also going back to this idea of like being your baby self it's like my son is so confident no one's told him that he shouldn't do something or isn't good enough or or that we have expectations for what he should be or how, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's all just new and fun and he's discovering it. And I think that energy is really like a positive, positive energy. My son loves dancing and he's so good at it. Like he had, he just hears music and he moves in a really natural way. Yeah. And I think they they all do. That's my question. Yeah. Did, was everyone because I don't. Well, I think there's something genetic about it for sure. Um, but I do think that we are born with these open hearts, and that so that means moving your body in ways that feels good and not ways that are measured. And yeah, it's it's. I think it's always that's a, such a beautiful part about having a kid is is being reminded of right, that. Right, right. I know. And and my husband and I look at that and we're just like. Wanting, we want to guard around him <laughs> you want to and, guard around and prevent him, yeah. prevent all those little forces that like you know crush that child's spirit yeah i think even though you can't you but. can't but you but also just encouraging i think guarding can, can guard, <laughs> which is the new a new official term right. miriam webster's writing it down right now <laughs> um the that the message for our kids is that you you can be who you want to be and move how you want to move and be encouraging that freedom um, without making them feel scared that someone will judge them. I mean, mm-hmm. the idea that, I mean, I think if like, it, it just, it's so interesting how generations we through openness and through progress when it comes to like racial identity or sexual identity, it's like, we're going to raise these kids that, don't have the same hangups about what it is to be like for me when I was younger, a packy, you know, mm. what it is to be a dyke. It's like, it's just being mm-hmm. such a nice way to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, in the course of this interview, I've, I've been, or this podcast episode, which is also an interview. I've been sitting here thinking you seem so confident. You seem, yeah, you seem so confident. Have you always had that? Um, I think I've always, I, I think sports have, were really good for me, but also, honestly being just like a butcher or woman there's like we nurture our our men to be more confident but at the same time there's like the legacy of like just a a prototypical male thing to be sort of go after your things and i think that in being sort of somewhere in the middle in terms of i'm i'm fully a a woman and identify as a girl and all of that but there i have some very male or masculine qualities Mm -hmm. and i think that the 
that that confidence is kind of lumped into that in, right. in terms of like sports and just going for something and not really thinking about the the downside but jumping in but i'm also super sensitive um you know my my wife will like i'll, I'll cry like 10 times more than my wife <laughs> i'm just like a very feeling person and very I, I feel very connected to other people's pain and um i'm working on boundaries now because i feel like i'm i think probably growing up with this big family i'm always like come on in everybody in mm -hmm. and i'm starting to sort of as the daddy of the house start saying like okay who's actually who's coming in here right gender is such an interesting thing it um, is yeah because i think that i uh i wasn't really raised with like a clear idea of as a woman here's how you should behave. If anything, I always felt like I, I didn't fit that role at all. And there were things that I, I've real, like, I think in regards, uh, like with relationships or jobs or things like that, I feel like, Oh, I should just go out and pursue that thing. I've always, but then I feel like that has, I've sort of felt insecure around that. Like, Oh no, no. And then I just get, I'm not even finishing my sentences. Like then no. I just get sort of, um, paralyzed because I'm like my natural instinct is to do th to do it this way, but I think that that's wrong. So I don't know who I am exactly. I'm sitting here and I'm looking through the looking glass at you, <laughs> Sabrina, and I'm like, that's what I could have been if I didn't question myself. That's what you are yeah. in the moment that you don't question yourself. And also like maybe questioning yourself is part of who you are and well, me questioning my, yeah. I mean, like I'm not, look, last week, I, we were doing a network run through and it was like, you know, super stuffy feeling. And I said this joke and it didn't land. And so then I kicked my right, my stand up brain kicked in. And I started riffing and then Patricia Heaton started riffing with me and you could see the faces of the writers. They were like, you know, what the fuck, man? Like we're trying to get a gauge for what the script is and you guys are riffing. And I felt so sensitive about that. And mm. I walked away from it and I was like, oh my God, this is like, I, I did, I did, I, I got insecure about it. Um, and then I walked into the makeup chair the next morning and I was like, Patty, do you think it's okay? And she's like, what are you talking about? And it just had rolled off of her back. And it's like, well, that's the attitude that I need to have. Right. And that, it's like unapologetic. So there's these moments where you can, that, that feel really like they're under a magnifying glass and, and that you've really fucked up. But I think again, leaning on just like, it, this is life and we're all human and we're all moving and nothing's perfect. And the, and any outcome that you were hoping for, it's never going to be that I think throwing expectations away and really like, you know, dedicating your energy towards what the goal is, but understanding that it's going to, it's going to have a life of its own mm. and being kind of like jujitsu or like flowing with it is right. the best way to be. And right. for me, like my, I, I, I could look back and, and think, well, I started stand up at 16 I could have written a pilot when I was 18 or 19 or 20. I could have had my own show. I could have done this or this or this. But it's like, no, that's not the way that that's not the way my story goes. So being like soft with yourself about those paralysis moments is, I think, important. Well, I really have lately started regarding the idea of like, be your own best friend. Yeah. Um, in it, I, I've seen it in a different way because people say that all the time. And I've heard it a thousand times. You got to be nice to yourself, be your own, be your, you know, be yourself grace exactly bring your own bestie <laughs> but all of a sudden i've started understanding it in like a much more literal way in terms yeah. of like if a friend came to you with a problem how would you support them do that to yourself because really if you can't do that for yourself like what's the point yeah that's like yeah. a new thing yeah if the instinct about. constantly is when you fail that you are you know 
they're piling on pile on to it it's like that's and it's all in your mind it's so that's the other crazy thing is like we're all we are all taking in our own versions of reality so if you if your pattern is to paint your reality with this negativity brush then like it's not until you throw that brush away which the more you use it the harder it is to throw Mm -hmm. away but and we all have that brush i'm not saying like i feel like uh, sometimes when you talk this way it seems like you're talking in platitudes and that you're not actually like uh what's it called fallible or whatever that you don't that you don't suffer from fallible fallible human yeah why don't i just claim the word when i say it (laughs) fallible um that we're all jimmy fallon (laughs) (laughs) fallon ball okay uh all right we got another question here it is Shmoo says, I love her Instagram stories. Wolfie and Cowboy are adorable. How did Cowboy come into your lives? Ooh, Cowboy. Well, Cowboy is our little French bulldog that's mixed with Boston Terrier. And our friends, Monica and Danny, had this beautiful Frenchie named Roxy, who's now in heaven. But we were just obsessed with Roxy. And so we were living in Brooklyn at the time. And we were uh, we went to this gym that was across from this German beer hall. The German beer hall opened like a month after we uh, became members of the gym. And so the pattern was like we'd be on the elliptical for like 15 minutes. And then I'd show Shauna a picture of a beer and we'd be like off <laughs> off to the German beer hall. So we're sitting on the patio of the German beer hall drinking our Hefeweizen, eating our post-elliptical pretzels. <laughs> and and we saw this guy walk by with a French bulldog. And we're like, let's just ask where where he got it from. And he told us about this farm in Pennsylvania. And so I got in, in touch with them. I think it was called Sturbridge Farms. And, um, and they sent out like an email blast saying that they had a new litter. And we had kind of fixated on the idea of of our dog being all black. So there was like three black dogs and then one black and white dog that looked like an alien, like a really weird face. And that was cowboy. And so we went down the list. I emailed the, <laughs> the breeder. I was like, how about this one? She's like, Oh, just got taken. But the other three are available. I said, how about this one? She's like, Oh, that one just got taken. So the other two are available. I said, how about that one? She said, well, that's taken. But so the only one left over is the one that you haven't asked about. So I said yes to Cowboy. That's the alien face one. Alien face. And oh, he's just the sweetest, cutest, stinkiest guarded boy. <laughs> Stinky guards on those dogs. Tony, you have a French bulldog mm-hmm. too, right? And oh, you are not wrong. Yes. Yeah. Palpable. Oh, yeah. You can taste him. Uh-huh. Yeah. You bring him into the writer's room and everyone's like, this dog should be here every time. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible how often it happens. Too. Yes, it's like a it's a daily regular thing. You can almost see them; they're yeah. so thick. Mm-hmm. My dog's farts don't smell so great either. Are you sure it's a breed specific thing? I like that you don't want to be left out. <laughs> You're like, look, <laughs> it's my, my house smells it's like shit my too. Show. <laughs> my dog's farts are really stinky. You guys, <laughs> let me into your fart club. No, but if you canned these Frenchy farts okay. and you compared them to what kind of dog do you have? Uh, Cavalier. King Charles. Yeah, Daniel. Cavalier. That's going to smell like roses you'd and gray so. poupon. You'd think so. You'd think so. But no, I'm telling you, it's just as stinky as you guys. <laughs> Let me be one of you. Okay, now let's do our spouses. Okay. How does your spouse's fart smell? <laughs> not great, but not, not great. as bad as our dogs. Um, How does Shauna smell? Terrific. And I'm getting laid tonight. <laughs> I'm top. <laughs> Tony, how did Kaylin's fart I, smell? I, I, the dogs are worse. <laughs> So I'm the only one admitting just 
laid down on that grenade. Yes, yeah. I opened it up. Look, I said be authentic within reason, Allison. <laughs> I didn't say ruin your marriage on your podcast for the sake of being honest. <laughs> Sabrina, it was so nice having you on the show. It was so nice to be here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So much. Tell you already did some plugging before, but do some, do another round. Of All it. right, guys, go ahead and pop open your browser. However you digest podcasts and look up the goody goody. Um, I've had Ashley Tisdale on the pod. I'm going to have Patricia Heaton on the pod soon. Chelsea Peretti's coming up soon. We got oh, I tons her. of, we've got tons of Natasha Legero was on. We've got tons of great podcasts, honest conversations with badass women and queer people. And I'd love to have you on. I would love to come on. Okay, cool. Let's exchange information. Let's do it. Okay. And then Carol's second act is on every Thursday at 9.30 PM on CBS, baby. And go look up your Netflix quarter hour. Cause it's very funny. Just get obsessed with me. <laughs> it's worth it <laughs> and, uh, and look at my old google images oh yeah we gotta it's do a that treasure trove of lols <laughs> uh follow me on twitter and instagram at allison rosen if you like what you're hearing subscribe uh rate review it helps yes. out the show so much please do that and for sure go rate goody goody because 58 reviews come on come on people come on. my instagram sabrina jalice goodbye but also but also, also rate and review Alice Rose is your new best friend and my other podcast Childish I'm on Cameo and I'm on Patreon Tony and I just did a Cameo together Ooh, a little first. while ago that's right so check uh, me out on those as well Tony where do we find you uh, at Tony Thaxton Twitter and Instagram and my podcast Bizarre Albums uh, every Tuesday rate and review not that to too. be confused with Tony Braxton she's yeah. stealing a lot of your likes oh yeah that's I've been hearing that since ninety two. <laughs> <laughs> the story of his grade school, high school. I uh, take school, it back. That wasn't life. something I said. <laughs> <laughs> Got too loose. That's right. It doesn't. It doesn't happen as much these days. She's kind of fallen off a bit. But, yeah, uh, it's such yeah. a funny thing because names are new things in your ears, so you're like, oh my god, they're gonna love this, and it's like, yeah, Sabrina the teenage bitch. I've heard it. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of that one. Mm? Did do people really used to call you Bina? Yeah. That's my, I mean, people still do. My family does. Mm. Do you hate it? I'll change it. <laughs> no, I, no, in fact, I don't know why my face and tone suggested I dislike Is it. Is that really I, your fucking nickname? That <laughs> <laughs> was the most inadvertently bitchy thing I've ever said right, in my life. I guess we're not friends, Allison. No, I like it. I do like it. I don't know why, honestly. We had I'm a gonna... clean outro, <laughs> no fights. <laughs> Now, all of a sudden, she, she's actually opened a butterfly knife and she's pointing it at my throat. I mean, listen. Okay, look. Oh, it's because in your funny, in your eighth grade thing, which we, you invited us to laugh at it with you. you. I invited you. As an eighth grader, you said, you can call me you Bina. You can call me Bina. So therefore, I thought, I'm filing this under funny <laughs> things from the past. Like when I renamed myself Ali Michelle with a heart over the eye. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Truly I did for a little while. So I so was like Anne Hathaway of you. Let's Yeah. Let's I don't I'm not sure I got that reference, but yes. <laughs> let's together laugh at our young selves, not realizing Bina is who you are. Currently well, Guess what? I'm, I'm crying. You hide it so well. Okay. It's going inside. <laughs> The tears are going oh, that's, that's so you're just ingesting them. They're coming out of my butt. <laughs> okay. They're going is... to lay on your floor like little pieces of pepper. My tears. Does... My butt tears. <laughs> oh, no. Does, wait. Does everyone call you Bina? Should uh, I be calling you that? You should call... I mean, not with the tone you use, but... <laughs> what does your wife call you? Um, 
sexy baby. No, she calls me babe. 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 But if she was going to call me my name? Yeah, would it be Bina or Sabrina? If she said she could call me she calls me Bina sometimes, but she also calls me Sabrina. Tony, what happened to me? I... Allison, we got to recharge your batteries. <laughs> okay, you got two kids, you got a pot, you got two podcasts, you're on Cameo. You're <laughs> You're cameo. burning the candle. You're burning the candle at all ends, and we gotta put you back on your Dyson charger. Okay. <laughs> Allison you. is a Dyson product. Thank you. <laughs> um, I say we ended on this high note. <laughs> Thank mm. you again for doing the show. Um, I, lo- B- I love Bina. I love it. I love it as a nickname. <laughs> I love it as a name. I'm renaming my dog and myself and my. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Bye. Hey, do you know? About the Allison Rosen Show We had a good time But now we gotta go Yeah, Allison Rosen Here's your new band